you for joining us today at Renovatus, a church for people under renovation. If you have a prayer need, would like to talk with a pastor, or want to share how this message impacts you, we would love to hear from you. Email us at info at renovatuschurch.com. If you desire to support us in the work we are doing for the kingdom of God in Charlotte, you can give online at renovatuschurch.com. We hope you are truly blessed by today's message. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Y'all are a fun bunch. I hate to do it again, but I'm going to. Um, as you return to your seats, let's open our Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. Um, and I just want to say, you know, we have, um, I, I, say it, I say it often, but not often enough. We have an amazing crew of volunteers that make our Sunday morning worship services happen every week. And um, I have never led or worked with such as a, a committed group of individuals. And even though um, I think sometimes um, uh, the idea um, of, of being like really great at something and really good at something, really excellent at something is overblown, uh, can, we, can, we can err in our pursuits of excellence. I would like to say that I'm grateful for a group that comes in and does excellent work every Sunday from the setting up of chairs to the getting my water ready for me to the prayer time that everyone does. Uh, it's just so wonderful. And, and I, I said all that to lead into, it was good to have a full band again this morning, which requires extra setup. And so uh, that was nice um, and is a sign that summer is winding down and, and we actually have enough volunteers to play in a full band. So that's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 15. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. As you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, singing and making melody to the Lord in your hearts, giving thanks to God the Father at all times and for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, this past week has been one of the busiest weeks I think that I've had this year. Um, even busier than the beginning of the year in which it felt like we were doing a lot of stuff for getting the budget ready and thinking about the move and all of that stuff. This year, just the way that this week, just the way that it fell, uh, was just one of the busiest weeks I think that I've had in a long time. It actually started last weekend. Uh, my girls, when you have girls uh, that are my girl's age, you do a lot of running for them, especially Bianca. Um, she's at that age where she needs to have her license. Yeah, thank you. Um, where she needs to have her license, but uh, she can't yet. Uh, so we're responsible for making sure she gets to all of her social engagements as well as ours. Uh, so it started last week with a musical performance that they were in. They were both in a musical. And then this week, they both wanted to go and see their friends in a musical. Uh, so we had to fit all of that in. Bianca was in band camp. I had lots of important meetings lined up this week with staff and with leaders. Um, yesterday, we spent the whole day doing a retreat and training time with our uh, newly organized women's ministry teams, both Breathe and the women's ministry. Uh, so we did that all day, rode home in a terrible storm. 
Um, it was crazy. Got out of our cars. It felt like I was one of those weathermen in the hurricane running to my house. Um, and, and we did all of that. I was getting prepared for all of that. Missy and I had a couple of conversations about that. We had to meet about that. And then to top it all off, I realized Friday that the class I'm teaching online at Gardner-Webb starts Monday. <laughs> and I thought it started two weeks from now. Um, and I was supposed to have my syllabus up last week, but they've been gracious with me. It's still not up, those poor students. I've been getting emails and avoiding them, which is part of the sermon this morning, maybe for me. Um, so all of these things have been going on this week. I've been super busy, and I'm not telling you all this to garner your sympathy or to make you think, boy, that's a hard-working pastor. And I'm not telling you for that reason. I'm telling you this because I know that each and every one of you knows what it feels like to have weeks like that. Every one of us do. Um, and perhaps you're here this morning and you've had a week like that. Maybe you're here this morning and you've had months like that. And God help you, but maybe you've been here this morning and you've had years that have felt like that. Right? Uh, in fact, uh, just to give you an idea of like how tired I was... Yesterday, um, during, the during the training and retreat, I had about 50 minutes to myself. And I went in a room to sit in a chair with the full intention of, um, of doing some work on the curriculum for Gardner-Webb. And when I sat down, at some point in sitting down, the computer never got opened and I fell asleep. Uh, and, and I don't even remember falling asleep, right? Like, it was one of those things, I sat down in that chair, it wasn't even the most comfortable chair in the world um, but I fell asleep. Upon returning to the group and reporting to the ladies what had just happened to me in the room and how I had fallen asleep, I was cheered. <laughs> like, woohoo! Um, because apparently scoring a 30-minute nap in the middle of the day is a huge win for mothers of small children. But it's in these seasons of busyness, in these times where the to-do list gets bigger and bigger, it feels like, every day, um, that our day-to-day -day tasks can feel daunting, dare I say, overwhelming at times. And if we are unwise in our state of feeling overwhelmed, we might, I'm going to say a word here that we're all familiar with, we might procrastinate at best or numb our minds in hopes to forget about what needs to be done at worst. I mean, let's be honest, y'all. Time management is one of the hardest life skills to be good at. Can I get a witness? Time management is one of the hardest life skills to be good, to be good at. I think the Apostle Paul was acutely aware of our human tendencies when he penned the verses that are our reading for this morning. He begins this short exhortation by framing it with the importance of using our time wisely, to be wise users of the times and the opportunities that we have been provided, particularly he says, making the most of the time because the days are evil. Now, time here is kairos time, not chronos time. Um, 
which is different. Chronos time is like the orderly time of the day, second by second, minute by minute, hour by hour kind of thinking. But kairos time means a special time or a time of opportunity, an opportune time, a season or a moment that can be leveraged in some way or that should be paid careful attention to. And the days, which here's just the literal days of our lives, Paul says, are evil. And he writes and he reminds his readers to pay attention to that. That the time, in the time that they have been provided, this time of opportunity, the days that make up that time are evil. And so he says, live wisely and make the most of the opportunities that this time gives you because the days are evil. Now for Paul, these evil days were written with an apocalyptic impetus, if you will. Paul's generation, many of them, believed strongly that Jesus would return before they died, before their generation passed away. In fact, this is why Thessalonians, as some of the parts of Thessalonians is written and other parts of the New Testament, is as time went on, helping the church understand why Christ might not have returned and also what's going to happen to them if they die before he does return. So there was a strong belief that the return of Christ was imminent. It was very soon before the end of this generation. And so for Paul's audience, there was no time for playing around. There was no time to be doing things that were meaningless or vain. The lamps needed to be trimmed and the church needed to be ready to join with Christ in his final decisive act of bringing God's kingdom to rule in the present. He says plainly in this text, Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. He then goes on to instruct his readers how they can avoid the temptation to be debaucherous by the numbing of their minds and the wasting of their time, as one does when one is drunk. And instead, to be filled with the Spirit who will help them make the most of their time. The Spirit filling them is the means to that ends of taking advantage and of using and leveraging the opportunities and the times that they have found themselves in. He says, be filled with the Spirit. As you or through congregational singing among yourselves. Songs and melodies of the heart, he says. Which are these internal rhythms of worship. And then finally, with thanksgiving. Now I know that in our day, today, in the 21st century, 2018, it may be difficult to feel as motivated about being the church as it was for the people in Paul's day for a couple of reasons. First of all, we no longer necessarily have that sense that Christ must return before the end of our generation, before the end of our lives. That is not an urgency that our culture, our generation necessarily feels. Moreover, we have seen many things happen in our world that are apocalyptic in nature, and yet the eschaton awaits. My grandmother, my granny, we call her granny. My granny was uh, a civilian 
during World War II. And when I was young, I was fortunate enough. She was in England during World War II, and she lived um, in Cornwall. And even though Cornwall was not uh, a strategic place in the, in the battles, um, the German soldiers would, or the German planes would drop whatever incendiary bombs they had left uh, before they crossed back over into Germany. They would drop them right on the coastline on Cornwall. My granny told tales of how houses around her literally just exploded with the bombs. And during that time, she also talked about how they really believed that Jesus was about to return, that this was it. This was the apocalypse. And our generation has seen many such things happen. And so that urgency doesn't necessarily find its way into our particular cultural and generational context. But in this passage, I still think we need to pay attention to Paul's emphasis on the days that are evil. Because even though we might not have that same urgency, one doesn't have to look far to see the evil in our world every day, right? <laughs> in fact, every morning when I read the headlines and stuff and I see what's going on in the world and in our country and things that are being said, uh, I am tempted to become a dispensationalist and to run out into the yard and look up and see if there's a literal dragon at war in the sky um, and start looking to see if people already have 666 tattoos on their head because it does sometimes feel like that kind of apocalypse, right? The days are evil, and evil in our day is absurd. Um, and at times, it is even overwhelming, isn't it? There are times where what we read and what we hear is just too much. Sometimes I don't even know how. To respond to it. I don't know how to deal with it. I don't even know how to interpret it sometimes. Sometimes when I wake up and read these headlines and I hear what's on the news and I see what's going on around us, I just want to roll over and go to sleep and hope that when I wake up, it'll be different. That when I wake up, it will have just been a dream. But that does not make the most of my time. That is not a good use of our time in these evil days. Because Paul saw the evil days as a time of opportunity for the church. A kairos time. A season to pay attention to. And instead of just rolling over and going back to sleep and hoping that it's all just one big nightmare, I'm invited by the scriptures to make the most of my time by being filled with the Spirit as I worship. Now such may sound like an old-fashioned kind of idea. I know in the church I was raised in, the Pentecostal tradition, this, there was a lot of emphasis put on this, especially in the small rural church that I attended where most people there had many struggles financially, socially, and otherwise. And their hope was in this idea that I'm not going to fret about my problems, I'm just going to worship God anyhow. Anybody know what I'm talking about, right? There was kind of this emphasis on that kind of living. 
And sometimes that was cliche, but as one who grew up in a family where that was kind of the culture, I have seen the fruit of such an attitude towards life. The fruits of hope in the midst of despair. The fruit of providence in the midst of lack. There is something to be said about the attitude of worshiping in the face of what seems like desperate and evil days. There is something to be said about being filled with the Spirit when life seems to overwhelm you and all you want to do is make the pain go away. Whether that is with alcohol or Netflix or just a long nap that you just want to keep going and hope that things are never or that things are different when you wake up. He's in, we inv he invites us to make the most of our time by being filled with the Spirit as we worship. You see, worship orients our life to the Almighty or our lives to the Almighty. And worship brings balance to our souls. It is through the words and the actions of worship that we are able to orient ourselves in our createdness and in the wonder and the glory and the majesty of our Creator. Paul has employed this very practice in the letter of Ephesians. Throughout the letter, especially at difficult times, he uses scripture, spiritual songs, and even liturgical elements that he drew from in the first century, he integrates into his letter. I mean, even the portion that we're reading today, uh, the second half of Ephesians, these very practical pieces um, are prefaced by the conclusion of a, a, in the first section, which is a doxology, a pause of worship, as if to say, before we get into this really hard to do stuff of loving one another and living together and, and, and bringing people together from different backgrounds, often hostile backgrounds, bringing them together, before we get into that, let's just have a praise break. During the Civil Rights Movement, one of the things that stood out to me when I was able to, uh, over the past couple of years, spend some time with individuals, particularly Dr. Albert Brinson, who was a young man. He was uh, mentored by Dr. Martin Luther King, and he was a young man during the Civil Rights Movement. And one of the things that stood out to me in his stories of what that movement looked like was the importance they placed on worship before they went out and did any action. Before they went out and carried out works of justice and works of righteousness. Before they went out and stood in the face of great oppression and spoke truth to power. They would gather in churches. And they would sing black spirituals and hymns and spiritual songs. And they would encourage, their, encourage themselves through the worship of God. And orient themselves in his presence before going out into the streets and indeed, in a very real way, confronting the days that were evil. Jamie Clark Souls talking about this use of scripture and spiritual songs and liturgical elements by Paul says, No doubt we need to allow our particular sociocultural context to inform how we employ these inherited gifts, speaking of scriptures and songs and spiritual songs and liturgical elements. We need to be 
we need to be careful to allow our particular socio-cultural context to inform how we employ these inherited gifts. But the language of Scripture and songs is our primary language, spoken at home, by which I mean church. We learn other languages that help us navigate the wider world. But when the day is over, we come home, change into our comfortable clothes, let our hair down, and put on our spiritual slippers, reverting to our primary language. Moreover, we are encouraged in this text to not just practice worship, but to practice worship in particular ways. We are encouraged to practice worship among yourselves. Now, this is a very um, important injunction here because it's mentioned elsewhere in the New Testament, particularly in Hebrews 10, 25, in which the writer of Hebrews reminds his readers to not neglect the assembling of themselves together, the meeting together, as the habit of some of them was, but to encourage one another and all the more as you see the day, the eschaton, approaching. Our existence and our salvation is of a corporate nature, not an individualistic one. Archbishop Desmond Tutu best defines this connectedness that we all share, both as creatures and as believers who are participating in the salvific life of Christ. He, de he, he defines this best uh, and how we share in this in his description of the South African concept of Ubuntu. He says this, Ubuntu is to say, my humanity is caught up. It is inextricably bound up in yours. We belong in a bundle of life. We say a person is a person through other persons. It is not, I think, therefore I am, it is rather, I am human because I belong, I participate, I share. A person with Ubuntu is open and available to others, affirming of others. For he or she has a proper self-assurance that comes from knowing that he or she belongs to a greater whole and is diminished when others are humiliated or diminished. Or treated as if they were less than they are. We have this injunction to participate in worship within our hearts. Singing these melodies to the Lord. From the deep sense of our being. This corporate worship is enjoined. This rhythms of our heart. Turning our own individual selves towards the Lord is enjoined. And I think for the most part, for those of us especially who have spent any time in church, these don't seem like uh, pills that are too hard to swallow. But what is of this matter of being thankful, even when the days are evil? Because certainly evil days leave us sometimes asking the question, is there anything left to be thankful for right now? Maybe we know it's out there, but we just don't have that sense of gratitude as we wrestle with it. 
G. Porter Taylor says, this attitude of thanksgiving requires a radical openness to existence. To be thankful when the days are evil is to receive the day that the Lord has made, certain that God is in it. Paul certainly, in fact, just a couple of verses before this, Paul distinguishes between the forces of darkness and the forces of light. In fact, that's why he's even having this exhortation because he does distinguish between these forces of darkness and these forces of light. But he refuses to limit God's power or God's sovereignty or God's presence. This is not a Gnostic world or a dualistic world. Rather, it is God's world and God is in all of it through and through. Some of you may be familiar with Gerald May's book, The Dark Night of the Soul, in which Gerald May wrestles with these seasons of overwhelming darkness and despair. And in there he offers what I think is a very important reflection. He says, I must confess that I am no longer good at telling the difference between good things and bad things. Of course, there are many events in human history that can only be labeled as evil. But from the standpoint of inner individual experience, the distinction has become blurred for me. Some things start out looking great, but wind up terribly. While other things seem bad in the beginning, but turn out to be blessings in disguise. I also feel that the dark night of the soul reveals an even deeper divine activity. A continually gracious, loving, and fundamentally protective guidance through all of human experience. The good as well as the bad. We might be wise to be reminded of the words of the psalmist who said, no matter where I am, Lord, you are there. Even if I make my bed in the presence of death or hell, you are still there. And so, in the face of darkness and evil, we say as the church that this is the day the Lord has made. And we are going to rejoice and be glad in it. The urgency here in Paul's exhortation is not on choosing spiritual life over the consumption of alcohol, nor is it just some brief, let's avoid the problems and just sing kumbaya together. That's not what it is. It's much more important than that. And it is a call to the church to not be so overwhelmed by the times that we miss our opportunity to be a sanctuary for those who are most hurt, who are most traumatized, who are most cast off by the evil and the wickedness of our day. To which God's church should say a hearty amen. amen. Will you stand with me?
In a couple of weeks, uh, we will begin a series through the book of James. I love the oohs and ahs. I've heard several of that when I've said, when I've told people we're going to do the book of James. And James begins his letter by telling those who lack wisdom but want wisdom to ask for it. So I thought I would close out our sermon this morning, which is a call to be wise in evil days, to lead us in a corporate prayer. And not just ask for wisdom for ourselves, but to ask for wisdom as a church. Our musicians and singers can come on and get ready. But to ask God for wisdom to know how to be the kind of people that root and orient our acts of justice and our ethics of life together in the spirit-filling act of worship to God. Because it's not always an easy thing to do. In fact, some of you this morning probably because of what is going on in your life, even struggled to engage in worship today. And that's not just the singing part, but all of it. Um, everything we do as worship. So let's pray. And let's ask God for wisdom. God, we come before you this morning. And we confess, Lord, that we are deeply troubled by many of the things that we see happening in our world today. We confess, God, that we struggle in knowing how to be people of love and grace to one another in the face of such obvious and absurd evil and the dark works of the powers and the principalities. Moreover, God, we confess that there are times we have been apathetic because we have not known how to deal with the weight of the world that we live in. So, Spirit, help us to hear clearly now the call not to be overwhelmed by the days, but to see the opportunities we have in these days to be the people of your kingdom, to create a colony of heaven or to be a colony of heaven in the midst of a dark and desperate world, Lord. And we need wisdom, God. Help Renovatus to be wise. Give our leaders wisdom, oh God. Give our members wisdom, oh Lord. God, as we sift through and as we sort out what it is you are calling us to in this moment, God, Help us to be aware of our foolish and sometimes lazy ways. And call us, Lord, 
into these places where we can be filled with your spirit so that we may do all that which you are calling us to do. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. At this time, we're going to receive communion if our servers will come and be prepared. Everyone is invited this morning to receive the body and blood of Christ. If you wish not to, that is fine. You may remain at your seat. We won't judge you for that. But if you would like to, everyone is welcome. We will have prayer partners on either side this morning. Uh, and if you need prayer for anything at all, please stop by uh, one of these. Stop by one of these individuals, and we will be happy to pray with you this morning. Let's read the invitation together. This is the table. Not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed. Come, because it's the Lord who invites you. And it is his will that those who want him should meet him here. Thank you again for joining us. We invite you to send your requests and stories to info at renovatuschurch.com and give by visiting our website, renovatuschurch.com. As we close every service at Renovatus, would you join me in praying the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.